Welcome to On Strategy Showcase. This is Fergus in Chicago. As always, you can see all of the creative work associated with this and our other episodes on our website, onstrategyshowcase.com. You can also follow me on LinkedIn or on Twitter at onstrategy1. It's the number one. Uh, Today, I'm really excited to uh, share this conversation I had recently with the team that worked on Cadbury's. We're going to be talking to uh, Sophie Kerbegian, former head of planning at VCCP in London, and Benazir Barley Batata, marketing director at Mondelez International on the Cadbury's dairy milk chocolate business. Um, It was interesting to me that that the brand platform, A Spirit of Generosity, has long been the platform for Cadbury's dairy milk chocolate. And uh, even though it had a phenomenal number of years following the Gorilla Spot, the uh, famous Gorilla Spot, which we'll talk about, things began to decline shortly thereafter because of a number of factors you'll hear about. And that ultimately led to the pitch that VCCP won around 2017 and led to their uh, brilliant work around the uh, refreshing the brand platform in that year. Um, a lot of the work you guys may be familiar with, we talk about the various stages that they went through. There's a terrific backstory in the whole thing. Uh, but at the end of the day, this is really uh, the, um, the team answering the question, what's the role of a generous brand in a world that appears to be increasingly selfish? It's a great conversation. It's a Grand Prix winner at APG for creative strategy this past year. And uh, I'm uh, really excited to share it with you. Enjoy. So I am super excited to have this conversation. The The work is brilliant. The success is fantastic. This is uh, obviously uh, an award winner. Um, I was excited to see that it won the Grand Prix of 2021 of the APG uh, Awards for Creative Strategy. And I'm sure there are many, many more Effies, et cetera, ahead. So delighted to have both Sophie and Benazir here. Thank you both. Absolute pleasure. Thank you very much for having us. Yeah, thank you. Delighted to be here. This is a three-year campaign, and I'm sure there was planning in advance of that. Um, we've got a number of stages of this to go through, uh, but I, I think I always like to ask the planners involved in these conversations to give us a sense of, of what do you think, Sophie, this case is a great example of? Uh, well, I think primarily um, it's a great case of a brand relaunch, but um I think we should use those words carefully because it's a relaunch of a heritage brand. Obviously, that was what was always so exciting to us uh, to have the chance to work on Cadbury. You know, it it comes with a great opportunity, but also great kind of pressure. Um, And I think that what this shows is really how to do restoration of a brand rather than reinvention um, to have the confidence to go back to roots, but um, execute in, I think, a really uh, modern and contemporary way. Um, but I think it's also worth, it's a case for creating emotional connection. Um, and I think um, also it was about regaining trust. You know, that's one of the hardest jobs that you can be asked to do as a planner. And I think looking at the corporate narrative that Cadbury uh, had when we came to the table, um, I think that's one of the things this campaign has really helped do was to be re- rebuild trust in the brand. So Benazir, tell us about the uh, the Cadbury's business, like its scope of products, key markets, competitors. Give us a flavor for it. Sure. Um, well, Cadbury, Cadbury in the UK is the biggest FMCG or CPG brand in this country. Um, you know, it's worth, it's huge. It's worth a nearly £2 billion, pounds, or should I say about $2.5 billion, and it's growing year on year, like 8%. Um, and the penetration is like 90%. So, you know, 
it's massive here. And it, just to give you a bit of a scale, it's you know in, in this country it's bigger than Coke or Lay's or um, you know and it's bigger than its competitors set like Mars and uh, Nestle, Ferrero, Lindt. Um, and I suppose globally, then it's a, it's about a five and a half billion dollar brand. But I think what's quite interesting about Cadbury is that it's it's a Brit- it's a Commonwealth brand. You know, it started in Britain and expanded out into Australia, New Zealand. You know all the other countries in the Commonwealth, like Canada, India, Pakistan, and these some markets are really mature, like and with you know the huge heritage, um, you know, and the, the brand, you know, Cadbury's really, really well established. You know, seen as a signature taste of chocolate and really part of the fabric of the na- nation. But some bra- some of those markets are really quite new, where chocolate is, like Southeast Asia or India. So the brand has a different heritage. But the thing, um in those markets but the thing about Cadbury in those established markets is that everyone thinks it's a brand that's made there so Cadbury's never actually intended to be this big global brand it actually was it was it wanted to be a global idea but executed locally reflecting the specific culture so for example in you know in Britain you know we've got flavors and formats and styles um, that really appeal to the British audience whereas when you go to Australia they have a whole range that's just for their audience um, and, and you know it's just very very localized as to what it is it's not a one recipe one size fits all. I think for us this is one of Cadbury's x factors actually and something that we really wanted the campaign to play into you know I think it's interesting and um, Mondelez, obviously global snacking giants. Um, and I think uh, internally, there isn't one consistent way of doing things, is there, Benazir, in terms of global versus local? And so when we got the brief for this, I think in a way that was quite open, but it was one of our kind of key uh, tenants of, for execution to say, look, this has to feel fabric as a nation in every nation because what Cadbury has that the competitors don't have is this sense of belonging and connection amongst consumers. And actually it was that sense of belonging and connection with consumers that had made people so angry about some of the things the brand had done um, in recent years. So, you know, we were trying to fix that and bring people back closer to the brand again. Um, So that locality and um, connection with people in those markets as if it was one of them and a national treasure in every market was really important. So my understanding is that um, the story kind of starts around the ad that we all know so well, um, which was the gorilla ad. <laughs> and I'm, I'm wondering if, if um, uh, maybe Sophie, if you could describe the ad, uh, yeah, I, I can't imagine anybody listening to the show hasn't heard it, but they're going to they're gonna hear it now uh, while, while you describe it a little bit. Tell me about what it is. Uh, the Gorilla ad um, was an iconic moment um, in British and I think global, global advertising or certainly in Cadbury markets. So um, the ad opens on a purple backdrop and the camera pans across a backdrop towards um, a gorilla sitting at a set of drums. And whilst this is happening, we can hear the build-up of the music to Phil Collins in the air tonight. You know, those kind of atmospheric, I guess, synth sounds. Um, And I believe this goes on for about a minute, probably, this huge build-up, purple background, gorilla. And you can see the gorilla 
is getting ready for the moment, the moment we all know in that Phil Collins song in the air tonight where it goes like that. I hope I did that right. That was really good, actually. That's pretty amazing. I'm surprised you actually continued to do it until you got to the end of that little riff. That's awesome. That's the whole point, isn't it? It's irresistible and we all know it and you can all feel that moment. Um, And at the end, uh, then what you have flashing up is a glass and a half productions. Um, And it was so creative and powerful culturally at the time. Um, It was an ad that people talked about then and they still talk about now. So it's it's an example of an ad too that generated so much uh, buzz around it. And this is in 2007 that mm-hmm. it was as much about what the hell was that as in as it was anything else. So I, I, Abenazir, do you what do you feel when you look back at that? Uh, I'm not sure if you were I'm not sure if you were on the brand at that time, but what did that signal for the brand? I wasn't there. I wasn't there. I joined in 2010 during the craft takeover. Um, but I worked in the beginning when I first joined with people who had worked, um, had worked with the agency who um, created that ad. But that was, BB, was being, that BBH, right? Was that BBH? No, uh, it, was, it was Fallon. 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 Okay, London Fallon. Um, and I remember, but I do remember, you know, I remember 2007 being around in the UK and seeing that ad on, you know, the movement, the movement it created, the buzz, the excitement. It was hugely entertaining. It was amazing, iconic in its time, still iconic today. Yeah. And, you know, the ad restored faith in the brand because there was a salmonella scare in the factory. It drove 10% increase in sales and obviously Phil Collins went back in the charts um, you know people can still remember that today you know even though it didn't have any chocolate but the thing is working in there internally after 2007 they did other iterations of Glass and a Half Productions which is what Gorilla was a start of you know it's a really cool advertising like I don't know if you remember it yourself eyebrows that was a really fun one with the little kids and their eyebrows moving up and down to music another and I really like that one too um but the thing is they were hugely really entertaining these type of adverts um but they became so hard to replicate and they were really distant to what the original Cadbury founders brand values were all about, like the spirit of generosity. So actually we spent, after that, we spent a lot of time always briefing in to our agency saying, oh, make us another movement or make us, you know, deliver fame. That was the brief at the time, deliver fame, because we knew that would drive penetration and, or, you know, and then do something, you know, work on joy again. And, you know, Glass and a Half Productions is you know, the first iteration of joy and we had many platforms you know, executions of joy should i say afterwards everything was always like be the next gorilla but at the end of the day gorilla became like a ball and chain for us we just could never ever replicate it and it became really tough it so was a hard is, time as i hear you say that I, I kind of get a sense that it's almost like it distanced itself from uh from what the core or what the the essence of the brand was it was almost like chasing itself it was chasing fame this is like maybe yeah. an example of a bad application of what in many categories can be a good idea, which is to chase fame. Um, uh, it's not, and it's not that, you know, it's, it's not that chasing fame was bad. I think maybe just the, the pathway to that was getting a yeah. little confused, Sophie. It's the um, fa- fame is a great objective, but you still have to have a strategy. Uh, yeah, that's it. That's exactly it. For, for what you're trying to be famous about. And I think, 
you know, executionally, it's interesting you said, you were just saying then, Fergus, that that execution was distancing the brand from its heritage, but it was actually also um, not that execution, the whole then series and platform, which got increasingly hyperbolic and over the top, you know, just really almost like, please, please, we're here to entertain um, distancing consumers from a brand that, you know, a brand that actually isn't just an entertainer, that's not the archetype of the Cadbury brand. Um, it's a brand that has a lot more meaning and gravitas um, uh, and stature than that. So you're throwing away a bit your, your USP. Um, and also, you know, Joy as a, as a platform is, uh, well, it's not really authentic because it's, it's an exaggeration. It's hyperbolic in itself because you don't eat a chocolate bar or a snack and feel joy. You know, you might feel kind of a little lift. And then, then you can see that almost category generic strategy of, oh, it's a little lift. It's a bit of fun. It's a bit of a break. And there you go. You have it. The whole confectionery and snacking advertising is, is right there in front of you. It became category generic. Everything became about joy, you know, and therefore it wasn't ownable to what Cadbury was. It just went a bit and more and became very distant to the spirit of generosity that the brand was founded on. After Gorilla launches back in 2007, hmm. there, I'm sure there's uh, there's there's a, a couple of years of growth as a as a result of that, and maybe some of the iterations that followed. But then my understanding is that that sort of um, uh, brand resonance and uh, sales began a sort of uh, precipitous decline. Uh, what, what was happening in those years? What had changed? I know there was the, the acquisition. What else was happening that sort of led to that decrease in sales? And then we'll get into uh, the brand relaunch. So there was loads of stuff going on. So like you say, the acquisition happened in 2010. And that was a terrible, negative media backlash time for everyone going through it. American craft corporate big giant taking over a national treasure, yes. taking over a British brand. Um, and, you know, and the, the premise was they were going to ruin it. It, the pre- that was the feeling that there were like people protesting strikes outside of the factory. Um, people, you know, even it was debated in the Houses of Parliament about whether or not this is the right thing to do. But I think also just to go back to what Benazir was saying about that hostile takeover. And actually, in the aftermath of that, things did happen that I know the current Mondelez team would say were not ideal. You know, um, there were factory closures, there was production moved out of the UK, um, there was um, a lot of um, focus on MPD and other tactics yeah. that drive fast sales growth. Um, what's it, what's M- MPD as well? Innovation, new product development. Okay, NPD. Okay, right. Sorry. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I think that's really interesting because that playing out over 10 years, the brand was being propped up by various tactics. I think even from a media, you know, you know even from a comms point of view, um, this is now, you know, several years post Gorilla and those joy executions are out there. It's really media efficiencies more than um, creative advantage that's, that's driving sales. So by the time it got to the pitch, um, it, it was good in a way because, 
the brand was suffering so much and sales were starting to suffer as well. You had a client team and a whole organization that had to do something. You know, there has to be change in that situation. That's right. We made you come to Bourneville. We, were, we had this whole debate about will the agencies come to Bourneville? You know, it's a two well, Of course, they're going to go to Bourneville. You're Cadbury's. <laughs> they probably go to... to exactly. To, they probably come to the US to, for a pitch. <laughs> Well, exactly. But we were like, well, these agencies are based in London and we're in Bourneville. I mean, two hours is nothing, is it, in reality, and considering our size and everything. But right. we were but like, come, please. And they're saying this, right? Because you, that shows to me how the organisation was feeling about itself. Will, will, will agencies even come to us? Interesting. Whereas from the outside, whereas from the outside it's, this is Cadbury. This is going to Bourneville. Of course we're coming. This is amazing. The heritage there, the, the history, the chocolate factory. So that says, that, you know, that's the tension that was there with where the brand had got to internally versus what it could be at its best. What triggered the, the desire for the pitch, Benazir? When, when was that? So we did, we did the pitch in 2017. That's right, isn't it, Sophie? And we they cherry picked a few of us internally and said right small very small team you're going to work on this blank sheet of paper it was like wow okay and it was and we went back to the drawing board it was fantastic we went back to the drawing board we all read books on Cadbury like Purple Rain there were big meetings about what's our brand stand for what's we look at our brand DNA where are we? And we made this conscious decision not to brief in, let's do another gorilla. We didn't want to do that. We really wanted to look at this again. We showed all our brand metrics to going down. Like even taste, taste I love was in decline. Everything worried us. Brand love was just, you know, going down. Sales were going down. Penetration was going down. And we were super worried. The only thing that we still, the only thing we knew that was fantastic and we still loved and we still believed was the product was amazing. Did you come into that pitch, um, Benazir, with actual strategic hypothesis that that your internal group felt might be good uh, directions to go in? Or did you sort of leave it as just a simple ask and then wait to see what the agencies might have come back with? We came in with the spirit of generosity of what Cadbury was. Um, that's our history and our heritage. And then we left it open to Sophie and her team. You go to the briefing. Then what is it that planning does tactically to get a better understanding of the audience, the issues, the opportunities? Yeah, I mean, um, we did, I'd say the key piece of work um, of the research that we did two things, actually. One was we did a big semiotic study because it was a global pitch. Um, And so we knew culturally we needed to get a grasp of um, how generosity um, was manifesting in 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 culture because we, we talked about the brand's roots and these generous roots but you go hang on this brand currently has a pretty bad corporate reputation you could have googled Cadbury at the time and found it pretty difficult to find a good news story or a gen you know a story about giving back uh, in the press at the time and uh, you know so we knew it was there but we didn't want it to be something that could backfire, which I suppose it easily could. So 
we um, went out into the world and did that cultural study. Um, and we had one really key insight there, which was about people um, were having pretty hard times. And I suppose we're still having pretty hard times now. But it was really at the beginning in 2017 of the uh, popularization of uh, politics. We just had three different votes, I think, in the UK. Um, there were problems, religious tensions in, in India. I think Australia had had a new prime minister every year, um, year after year at that point, um, issues with migrant crisis handling, things like that. You know, the world was becoming what seemed like a very polarised place. And that was new then. Obviously, it's not now. Um, but it, it was then. And so what we were seeing in, in societies all around the world was this lack of um, faith in the organizations that are supposed to guide us and lead us, and instead are as version to the self and the power of what you can do in your own community. And we were seeing generosity and acts of generosity manifest in a way that wasn't about monetary giving, but that was about um, little but very meaningful acts um, between individuals in communities. And I assume that's because you were looking at everything through the lens of generosity, because generosity was not necessarily evident in popular culture. Uh, yeah, but by that point, we were looking through the lens of generosity. Yeah, but I think that's what's interesting because it wasn't evident, but it is there if you scratch below the surface. So it, 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 we got to this. One of the things we talked about a lot was the problem here is the bad news shouts the loudest not that generosity isn't there. And actually everyone, when you talk to them about this, we did we did some cook um, consumer groups as well, has a story of something, a small act of generosity that somebody did for them. And it stays with you. These things stay with you for years. Um, the meaning is, is such. I think we should probably establish for the listener the, um, the roots of the, a spirit of generosity for Cadbury. What does that mean in terms of a product truth? In the product, the extra glass and a, a, glass, a half glass of milk. Um, that goes yeah, that's the key thing I wanted to underscore. Area. Yeah, it's, the, it's yeah. the glass and a half of milk. Tell us what that means. Uh, well, I mean, it means from a recipe and taste point of view it means that this is the gold standard of chocolate and so we were really wanting to find a story it'll go back really to a story about the core um chocolate product you know Benazir talked earlier about novelty and growing through novelty you know Cadbury doesn't have to be a novelty brand and what it was finding was that it was being squeezed by new mass premium players like Lint because it was take, losing focus of, you know, Cadbury chocolate is actually really good. We shouldn't just throw anything into Cadbury dairy milk because it's our, you know, superstar chocolate. So the, I believe the I believe it's always been Benazir the the sort of the message of the brand. At least I think I remember this from my time growing up in Dublin. Uh, Cadbury's always talked about each bar contained a glass and a half of milk, right? Yes, that's right. So it goes back decades that this oh, was... decades, 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 decades. We've always communicated with Cadbury Dairy Milk that the product contains a glass and a half of milk. And it's actually, that is really true. It does contain, each block contains a glass and a half of milk, British so, milk. So that projected 
not only generosity of ingredients, but also quality of ingredients. So that, I think, was a big part of the underpinning of the original idea of a spirit of generosity reflected in a product truth. Well, it's both, isn't it? Because you've got the spirit of generosity linked to the Cadbury family of giving to their community and everything they did in Bourneville and everything they stood for, like workers' rights and everything that we've talked about, as well as the product truth. So it's a really beautiful, because that glass and a half of milk is what gives it that wonderful, unique Cadbury taste and and makes it so delicious. Um, And actually, you've got both. So that's why it makes it even more credible to talk about the generosity. I think the other really big um, strategic leap actually came from, as planners like to do, geeking out on the psychology of generosity um, and the kind of mechanics behind it. And I came across this interesting piece of research and it talked about generosity as being born out of empathy. And actually, empathy being something that brings us closer together was the driving human truth of the whole strategy for for for, for, for Cadbury generosity then because you know we talked at the beginning about the joy platform and and, and the corporate narrative and this this organization becoming increasingly distant from its consumers we wanted to be the connector again. We wanted to be a brand that everyone, you know, we brought people together. Um, it, we were something we could all agree on, you know. Um, and so finding that point of connection between the brand and people was really important. So we had that guiding truth. Empathy brings us closer together. And the type of generosity that we want to stand for is the generosity that is born out of empathy. And so the platform we actually got to what wasn't generosity, you know, people like one word, so they say generosity, but um, it was generous instinct. And a sentence I probably walked around saying quite a lot of the time was, you know, when you feel empathy for another human being, that is when you're compelled to act on your generous instinct. And I think wanting to capture these moments between one another was what then became the heart of the creative strategy. And of course, the empathy is a fundamental human trait. So we all have empathy in us, which means we all have generous instinct in us, even if it doesn't feel that way all the time, even if the bad news is shouting the loudest, it is there within each and every one of us. So Benazir, what's what's the experience as a client? There's a, there's a presentation uh, by the agency. Generous Institute was absolutely the strategy that we fell in love with because we were like, oh my goodness, this is bang on spirit of generosity, but even better because it's absolutely linked to, you know, making it absolutely linked to humans today and linking into human nature and more related to the people um, um, than we than our brand history, you know, and it just became super relevant and talked about, you know, the generous instinct inside every single one of us. And as a fabric of the nation brand, of course we could see that. And then when we saw the creativity on top of the creative executions that came out linked to the strategy well genuinely the the first one of the scripts that was presented to us in the room was mum's birthday which we eventually made which you which never happens it never happens that you make pitch work and I remember hearing that I remember Darren Bales the creative director presenting that um, pitch um, script and I in my head I was like oh my goodness oh wow and I just said in my head I went they've won 
I just knew it. I was like, they've won. I want to make that script. And then I bumped into, I think we had a break and I bumped into one of the other guys and we looked at each other and I said, I want to make that script. And he said, so do I. And we said, let's listen to the rest now. But we loved it from the start. Sophie, how did how did you get to the, what I think is a brilliant expression, there's a glass and a half in everyone? It didn't come till later, honestly. So the 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 pitch um, line was um, live a glass and a half full, even though what we were trying to say was there's a glass and a half in everyone. And we knew it wasn't quite right at the pitch, but you know how pitches go and you, you have a limited amount of time. Um, and so by the time we'd completed the pitch and won, which was brilliant, we went then straight into uh, qual research on the work, on the pitch work. And I remember sitting in some groups in Australia and uh, the somebody wrote down the line, there's a glass and a half and everyone, I said, that's it, that's it. And that was it. And so that, and so we then threw, you know, you know what it's like. We were literally for the researcher crossing out one line on the script and putting it right around the glass half of everyone. And then that was it. So, so that so, came, somebody wrote, wrote it down, meaning that somebody, a participant or somebody behind the glass? Oh, someone behind the glass. Wow. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So I, it's an interesting one because we, that was one of the big challenges. We wanted to have this glass and a half in the line. We wanted that to become a core part of the message. We didn't want this to be a brand thing over one side and a product thing on the other. So we were really trying to achieve that, but we didn't find the right words till a bit later on. So Benazir, can you describe the spot that you loved? And then I'm going to drop the uh, audio audio mm-hmm. in after. So um, the mum's birthday pitch and this, the, the TV ad that we made, that we, lo- we loved it. We still love it. Um, it's it a little is girl. beautiful. Yeah, a little girl goes into this corner shop, a quintessential British corner shop, and she's looking around a little bit in trepidation because it's a, kind of probably her first time going into the shop. But she's just left her mum outside the shop. So, you know, she's she's walked up, sorry, she's walked up to the shop. She's left her mum outside. She's just taken a phone call. She's walked into the shop with a bit of trep- intrepidation. And she's looking around and she goes up to the shopkeeper. Probably her first time ever, you know, being like that on her own. Being brave. And she she asks for a bar of chocolate. Yeah, asks for a bar of chocolate, please. And he looks at her and he's kind of like, going what's going on here okay i'll go with it and um he points to a bar of cadbury dairy milk and offers that to her and she's she nods saying yep that's the one and he he says okay and she starts to pay and she starts to she gets out of her purse um oh that's what she says she says it's not for me it's for my mum and he looks out the window and she sees he sees her on the phone and he's like, okay. And she starts to pay and she pays in her little knickknacks. And out come the little knickknacks. And then one by one out of her little purse. And then she hasn't got quite enough. And um, he's just watching her. And uh, she then brings out her prized possession, which is a Pegasus or a unicorn, if you like. A Pegasus, though, is really because it's got wings. And it's this beautiful little toy, you know, all the rage with the little kids at the moment. And he put she puts it down and she's like okay there you go that's enough so he takes these trinkets he takes them all because he's like all right i'll let her have it i'll let her have this 
And then actually he shows his generous side because he goes, she's just putting it away and he goes, don't forget your change. And he gives her back that little Pegasus, you know, that prized possession. And then she walks out with her Pegasus as well. And she walks out and gives the bar to her mum and says, happy birthday, mum. It's like a bar of chocolate, please. It's for my mum. Change. Happy birthday, Mum. <gasps> Thank you. There's a glass and a half in everyone. I never picked up on the fact that the shopkeeper's den- generosity is also a part of the entire spot. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's absolutely. great. What was the, the uh, glass and a half shop all about? Right. So, um, the glass and a half shop was an activation that went with mum's birthday and it basically recreated the experience that the girl had in the shop. So you could take in your knickknacks and get uh, a bar of Cadbury dairy milk. Um, so oh, it, was wow, really like an, it was really like an experiential sampling exercise. I mean, it was great. It was great fun. But I think if we're honest, we, we, we um, had much greater ambitions in terms of what we wanted to do with story doing around the campaign And I actually think mum's birthday was the ad that later gave us permission to go on and do that with Fence because I think don't underestimate what a difficult sell in a way the whole campaign was in broader Mondelez because we had this amazing tiny team of pitch team of clients like Ben who was saying and we were like thick as thieves weren't we we totally what we were doing the, the the strategy the creative work but um, remember, which we, we were selling this in at a higher level to an organisation who's used to a very different type of advertising, you know, short <laughs> form, high energy, very active. Um, you know, are, are we are we doing enough jazz hands here? Even to do a 60 second version. I remember one of the um, first meetings we had post the pitch um uh one of the, the client team saying you know so this is going to be a, a a 20 second yeah and we were like no 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 because <laughs> one, one of the other tenants of the strategy was you know we know we have these great stories but the role of those was to create an emotional connection again and try to try creating an emotional connection with someone in 20 seconds you know you need a bit of emotional depth and story there so it was a huge effort and between us because we had kind of this group internally and externally you know we we were all there fighting for it this belief we got it through and then once people saw mum's birthday I remember also another thing music you know imagine after Gorilla um, and Phil Collins (laughs) so Cadbury is going music's part of our heritage and it is this is a brand with some of the most memorable iconic jingles of all time we're saying we don't want to put music on it because it will be more emotional without if it's just about the actor and the performance and the emotions um, and also about, you know, being real and connecting with people and showing that we are in the real world with people. We felt really strongly that that execution, you know, it's not 
it's not middle class. It's not ad world. It's not John Lewis world. It's the real world. And all these executional details were hugely important uh, strategic and creative decisions to make us fabric as a nation again. So anyway, so we did it. And it was only once we'd done it and with this honest, honestly just brilliant belief from the pitch client team, um, we got it done and it tested so well and it performed yeah. so well, we then had the permission. So it was the gateway moment, mum's birthday, really. The casting of that little girl is just so perfect. And I also noticed that you did versions of this for different countries. Same concept, yeah. different, uh, different uh, for different countries. But again, that was another thing that was, you know, a bit of a leap uh, from an efficiency point of view. Um, but that's why we were researching the scripts and those stories globally, which is why you end up getting back to why that universal human truth was really, truly universal and so important, because these stories and actions of uh, small acts of generosity born out of empathy between people are recognized in communities all around the world. And so then there might just be a little tweak you have to make. Like in Pakistan, the, the woman couldn't be a, a working mum. So instead she was out busy shopping, doing something else, you know. So a few little tweaks to make sure that it was culturally relevant. So let's let's summarize where we are here before we move forward. So you've you've done work, you've done some cultural uh, research, you've discovered that we're sort of a, a self-obsessed celebrity culture. There's isolationism in politics, yet there's this sense that small acts, small sort of acts of generosity uh, are happening every day. And I think the way you've talked about it is from your case is that you sort of the unlock was sort of rediscovering the brand's truth by shining a light on generous on the generous instinct in people. That then evolves from uh, mom's birthday uh, to a a sort of a a second aspect of this, which is uh, fence. And um, I'd love to hear about what you describe as being sort of the liberation of the creative. It, 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 was, a, it was almost a, a, um, a sea change moment for how the brand thought about creativity. Can you explain what fence is and what had been sort of revolutionary? Yeah, I think actually it, it wasn't really fence um that was the revolution it was what went with fence because fence was another pitch script believe it or not <laughs> so there were loads of these in the pitch we just had i remember darren just story after story after story and fence was another one of them and it had that universality so we made we made fence in several markets as well um and we actually shot mum's birthday and fence together with mm. Frederick Blanchon in uh, Glasgow in that December. So mum's birthday had aired first, but Fence came later. We always intended the campaign should have this multiplicity because it's saying as a glass and a half and everyone, you know, that there should be lots of stories. But I think the way in which Fence was the, the watershed moment for creativity was actually in the story doing that happened around it. And that was, of course, Donate Your Words. Can you describe uh, what Fence is? Sure. Um, so we open on a guy, an older gentleman in the house, in his house, and he's um, and he's like getting ready. And then what, what you see quite quickly is that we cut, well, you realise he lives alone, but we cut to different times of the year. So in the beginning, 
you see them in the season around um, an autumn time and like a ball has obviously come over the fence from the kids next door. So he throws that ball over as he's cleaning up the fence. You cut to a different season and then like a paper plane's come over and it's hit him in the, well, I think the ball's actually hit, hit the, the the greenhouse and he's like, oh, throws it back. He, do, he just does it, you know, because, oh, the kids, Frisbee's come over, oh, throws it back and cut to a different season. And again, a similar episode, you know, oh, something else has come into the garden from the kids over the village, over sorry, over the fence, throw it back and then um one day he um one day uh, um a bar of cabby dairy milk comes over the fence and he he looks he stops him in his tracks and he goes oh he looks at it it's like oh his face his fantastic expression face so he looks at it going what's this ponders a moment and the little two little boys pop up over the fence and they're like you don't need to throw that one back mr thompson and then they pop down again and yeah. the, we show him looking at this bar and just feeling happy that his generosity has been rewarded. They've noticed, they've recognized what he's done. And this massive smile comes on his face. So Sophie, what, what was it uh, that this ties into this subject of loneliness that you guys discovered was a, a national issue in the UK? Yeah, I mean, it, it, I think it's important to say uh, it wasn't a linear or obvious process. So we knew that we wanted to do a piece of real story doing something, you know, that was much more than the little generosity shop we did with mum's birthday, you know, an activation around an ad concept. We wanted to do something that showed the power of generous instinct in the real world, you know, activate generous instinct in a way that would bring people closer together around a meaningful issue, you know. So we started to look at fence and, you know, what are the themes in the ad? Obviously, there's loneliness because this is a lonely old man. There's the relationship between old and young was something we looked at quite a lot. Um, and we went kind of through round of round trying to find where we'd get that sweet spot between an issue that could be linked to fence without it necessarily being ultra matching luggage. But that there was some cohesion there in the campaign. Um, and an issue where an act of generous instinct, which is, you know, defined as a very small human act that doesn't cost anybody anything born out of empathy can make a difference and Cadbury the brand. And um, eventually we got to this stat around the fact that 250,000 older people in the UK go a whole week without speaking to anybody and so what's missing there is human connection and specifically words and the exchange of words. Um, and that fitted perfectly with, with, with what we were looking for, the definition of generous instinct and somewhere Cadbury could be as well, because, of course, chocolate is a social currency in itself. And so this Benazir is pre-COVID. It's important for people to remember that. Um, tell me about how you guys reacted to the idea of this, this alliance with this cause well for the sake of our term we'll call it a cause we really really wanted to partner with age uk so as to help you know which is huge here in britain we loved the idea that we could actually help people get involved and i think we got managed to have nine hundred ninety thousand people so nearly a million people have a conversation with older people and we were also giving tips of how to have or, or encouraging people to have conversations with older people in different ways and i don't know just really we were really impressed how we could actually get really into the fabric of a nation, really get into a nation's psyche about doing the right thing. And we had, 
celebrities working with us, wanting to work with us, who really believed and, and passionate about the cause. And working with a credible partner like Age UK really helped us to deliver much more impact. Maybe the most genius part of it from a creativity perspective is what you guys did with the packaging of Cadbury's milk chocolate. Yeah. Sure. Go, Sophie, I, go for it. Well, I mean, you know, it's just a very clever creative team. I uh, I remember being in the meeting, you know, when you're in those creative reviews and it's A3 sheet after A3 sheet and then suddenly an A3 sheet gets turned over and it's got this bar um, with nothing on other than the um, glass and a half. And I think it was a pretty quick, you know, not much debate in the room about whether or not that was a good idea um, because we knew it was really iconic. And again, a big part of the pitch strategy had been making sure that we better used our distinctive asset, that glass and a half, and imbued it with the meaning of generosity. But it doesn't necessarily mean that to people, obviously. And we really wanted to build over the years with this campaign, the idea that you see the glass and a half and you think gen- human generosity. So let, let's just let's just describe for the listener who may not be familiar with it. Describe that graphic. The glass and a half is an actual graphic that is on every bar of Cadbury's milk chocolate. And so it's, you're seeing, right, Cadbury's Dairy Milk Chocolate. So you're seeing an, a, a graphic that shows two glasses being, a glass and a half being poured of milk. And so that's what we're referring to just for the listeners. So, so was, was there a brief that you, did you, you obviously were trying to generate creative ideas as an expression of this initiative around loneliness. So, so what was the ask of creative and, and what were the ideas on the table that led to to, well, um, the, brief, the brief was about doing, you know, what can the brand do to inspire acts of generous instinct around this issue? And, and of course, by then we know that the issue is about donating words and old age loneliness. And so the creatives came back with, you know, well, one thing we can do is donate our own words. So we'll take the words off our pack and then 30p from every pack will go to Age UK. And, you know, that's that's Cadbury making the first move there. And then all we're asking of consumers is to consider donating a word in your community. And we gave people ideas for what that might be, because it sounds so obvious that people don't think, you know, if you see an old person who's standing at the bus stop, maybe they haven't spoken to anybody for a week. So why don't you just say, hi, how are you? Or in the supermarket queue, you know, we gave lots of little examples like that as well. Loneliness is awful. I don't know, the neighbours, they just pass you by. You don't exist. Rather than sit indoors, just go out to the park and then go to the shops, just have someone to talk to. There's nothing more important than being acknowledged by people, that you are alive, that you are a person, and just talk to them. You have to have a conversation, don't you? Well, that's what it's all about. If you don't have that, what have you got? 225,000 older people often go a whole week without speaking to anyone. Cabria donating their words to help. 30p from every limited edition bar sold will go to Age UK. And you can donate your words too. Search Donate Your Words. Just a few little words. That, that's all it takes. Such a small thing. But it makes so much difference. So donate your words. Then you 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 talked about the idea in the pitch. You uh, they uncover the sheet of paper, they turn it upside down and uh, right side up, I suppose, and you see this. 
I mean, conceptually, it's brilliant. But then you've got to get that produced within the organization, Benazir. How challenging was it to get the packaging reprinted and circulated? We had its challenges, but we <laughs> believed in it. A small team um, worked really hard to get it done. And actually, we didn't make that many packs. We decided, let's do this, and we'll do it as a short run. We only made a million bars, which is actually is quite that's, the, that's quite a small run for us. And we sold it in certain areas. And but the thing, what so what impressed us because we loved it we thought it was brave but um you know we also didn't know how it would go but we were like it's a great idea let's do it passion um so we did a limited run and the hype around the bar was massive so we sold a million bars produced and sold all the bars the retailers loved it but we delivered 12 billion impressions because the pr around it was enormous i mean it's hard to separate what was the bar versus what was the pr the celebrity endorsement the age uk and all everything that went around it and fence but i mean when you've got a million bars and you get generate 12 billion impressions it's just it's phenomenal and People ask us, how do you, you know, you're going to do another Donate Your Words. What are you going to do next? You know, it's, 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 it's like trying to make the second album. It always feels, there's always that pressure to do it. But, you know, it's, it, it took, you know, to the scale of its own. At this point, the Benazir, uh, this is pre-COVID. What sort of business results are you seeing against the business and against the brand? Were you tracking during this period of time? And, and what were you, what was being achieved? I mean, we were already 2019, if I remember, were we 2018, 2019, um, by the time Fence came out. But results were good. We'd already started turning around the business. Penetration was going up. You know, we'd already had mum's birthday. We'd already been, you know, back getting back on track. You know, we started with employee engagement before we even started um, the new campaign. Like we got the whole of the employee workforce behind generosity, explaining what we were going to do, showed the mum's birthday first, um, you know, and shared with, and then we kept that going. We always shared, we shared with the employees, fence first, donate your words first, and then get that you know galvanizing our employees to make them feel proud again because this is their brand we all work on it and you know that worked and everything was just working the momentum you know once we started to put all this new positioning into market started to work so sales were going up penetration was going up really nicely and still today market shares grown and penetration and brand sales have gone up i mean today i mean it was growing at the time we never had a dip but we're growing i mean today you know penetration has grown by eight percentage points shares grown by an extra 1.6 so it's fantastic so then covid hits and everybody um uh, not everybody but major brands many major brands uh decided to um, um stop all marketing what were you guys talking about, Sophie, as a team with Benazir, about in terms of what our response could be through the lens of the brand? Well, I think what's interesting is, you know, it, it, when you're in an agency, obviously with 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 several clients, and suddenly everyone's asking for what's a, what's our COVID response, and um, do we need a COVID ad? You know, you can imagine, and so I think the agency probably had a, a, a bit of a different perspective to it, thinking, hang on, everybody is wanting to say something here. Um, do brand, do brands, do we really need to say something at the moment? Should we? Um, and if we do, what is the right thing? And I think we were probably hesitant because we didn't know, you, you know, it's, it's one thing doing campaigns 
And we're bit trying to rebuild that trust and belief in the brand. We know sales are turned around now. We know the brand metrics are up, but really it takes a while to build back trust, right, and stature. Um, have we gone far enough three years into this campaign to say something about something like the COVID pandemic? And so uh, there was a lot of debate about it. And I know that um, the, the Cadbury team, actually, I'd, I'd say were the ones who were feeling they really, really should and feeling really confident about it. Um, and they were right, because I think then once we decided to do it, um, we were very determined to make an ad that wasn't like the other COVID ads. Because <laughs> I mean, I don't know, we, we actually did a little reel of the, all the ads at the time because they were all the same. We wanted to do it in our fabric of the nation way. We wanted it to be about people. It obviously had to be about generous instinct. Um, and we didn't want to force ourselves into it too much. It had to be more about the situation than about us. And I think that's why um, when this all ends, this doesn't have to end, uh, worked so well as a statement and a, and a, a, a quiet acknowledgement of the, the goodness and, and generosity in people that we were seeing at the time through COVID. It's like a Hollywood movie script, isn't it? Mm. You couldn't write it like this. Hello? Okay, we're doing okay, actually. What about you? How are you managing? How's it going, bud? Yeah, it's not bad, mate, not bad. How about you? How are you getting on with this lockdown business? <laughs> Hello? Hi, Grandad. Oh, hello, Tom, how are you? A girl down at um, one of the houses along my road here. She's just moved in from New Zealand. She even offered to help me. <laughs> she didn't know me. <laughs> but, you know, she knows me now. <laughs> the last few days have been out in the garden, so that's been really nice and helping the neighbours. Yeah, lovely. I've got five different neighbours that have offered to get things for me. All sorts of things, you know, that has lasted me for quite a while. Now, there's a phenomenon that may, many people in the U.S. are not familiar with, and it's called Gogglebox. <laughs> And so Gogglebox, and I must, you know, I, honestly, I'm surprised it hasn't come here to the U.S. yet. I mean, it is such an interesting idea, and it's almost like an experiment to 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 uh, when you when you watch this as a marketer. But Sophie, what is Gogglebox? And then because that's the show that you strategically decided, deliberately decided to launch the spot in. Yeah. So Gogglebox is uh, somewhat bizarrely, but also brilliantly. Um, a show whereby you watch other people watching TV. It's so <laughs> amazing. I mean, it's, I mean <laughs> you, my God. I know. It's better than you think it is. It yes, really it is. is. I've it's seen it. It's really yeah. great. You, ha you have this, this kind of families, same families every week. So you get to know these people's living rooms. It is so fabric of the nation. Like if you ever feel that you're in your cultural and social bubble, watch Gogglebox and you'll see all, they, they have all echelons of society in there. Um, and it's amazing hearing people's commentary of what they're watching. And you think, God, is that what people really think? So as a planner, actually, I really highly recommend it to, to strategists everywhere. Yeah. 
Um, so, so just so we're to- just so we're clear, so people, mm-hmm. you literally, it's almost like there's a camera mounted on the television, pointed at the people sitting yeah. on the sofa, and they're talking they're, while they're they're commenting on what they're watching on television, and they're talking amongst themselves. So you're you're seeing the human reactions to 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 things that they're watching, and it's I don't know, is it a thirty minute show? And you so you're going from household to household, hour. back an hour of watching these people just watching television. Um, and are they are they watching live shows or is it pre-recorded? No, no. no. It's they. I think they must get the shows in advance, so the shows that week. But it might be the news. It might be a nature program. It might be a soap. It might be a, a horror film. Could be anything. It, so and it is always, Yeah. So tell us what you guys do within the context of Gogglebox. Well, we, we we actually, it's worth saying, we, we actually created a bit of a relationship with Gogglebox and Channel 4 because we loved it as a proper fabric of the nation show, as I've just described. It's kind of got everybody in there. Um, and it's very real and it's very, very, very entertaining. Um, and we had launched Fence through Gogglebox. We had um, that you, you can actually do a sponsorship deal whereby the, the people in the show watch your ad and comment on it. So we found that was actually one thing we did that really helped uh, create the connection between the Fence advert and then the bigger idea of Donate Your Words. So we had a relationship with the programme anyway. Um, and it is um, certainly one of the few programmes left on TV that is a live viewing moment for the, for the country you know I'm not sure exactly off the, off the top of my head what the figures are but so that's why we felt you know if you're going to launch a film like that COVID film it has to be in one of those one of those spots you have to have that communal viewing experience I love it uh, Benazir were you because obviously this spot tested well but it, it could have crashed if people had been uh, sort of pessimistic about it on Gogglebox <laughs> Yeah, could have, but I think we were very positive that it would be warmly received. I think we 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 loved the spot, so we were we were hopeful, and I think it encapsulated the nation at the moment. I remember we were going through a time when we were praising each other. We had that sense of community and spirit of helping each other, and I think that's what that film encapsulates quite well. So I think we felt it would work. I promise you that three months, three years before, had Cadbury tried to do something like that, the social media narrative would have been really negative because there were just people lining up um, to be cynical about Cadbury. And I think over the three years, building this new campaign, building in the actual actions and substance through story doing of the campaign, um, we were able to say a really positive message and for it to be met in earnest, you know, as it was intended, which I think was really special for us. So it's uh, Sophie Kerbegian, former head of planning at VCCP in London and Benazir Barclay Batata, marketing director, confectionery in the UK and Ireland for Mandela's international and it has been and is and i'm sure there's lots more awards to come but it is the uh, apg 2021 grand prix award winner for creative strategy cadbury what a what a great case what a pleasure to talk to both of you i loved it and uh, i wish you guys continuing success with the with the next round of wherever it evolves to thank you fergus thanks for your brilliant questions thank you a bit of pleasure Thanks so much, and we'll see everybody on the next episode.